How is everybody? Good? Mm. Don't think I'm going to accept that. How is everybody? All right, that's much better. Thank you. I just want to lift up that we had an awesome week of VBS. Vacation Bible School was so wonderful. We just want to thank all of the volunteers who helped make that happen. We cannot bless these kids like we could without your all's help. So thank you. It was a blessing for me to be engaged in that and to be with those kids. It was just awesome. We were talking about how Jesus' power pulls us through, and it does. I could do the whole song for you, because Summit Jean knows it by heart. Uh, but it was just so great. But I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to get your St. John app out. If you want to follow along with the notes, there are some sermon notes there for you. But we are continuing our series on majoring in the minors. It has been so cool to dig into the Old Testament, to look at the minor prophets who are in no way minor. They bring a huge word for us. We've talked about Hosea and mercy, Amos and justice. And today we're talking about Micah and obedience. But before we get to Micah, I want to talk about prophetic literature. How do we have prophetic literature? What is it? Why do we have it? So interestingly enough, prophetic literature is pieced together. It's pieced together, you know, typically when we find books of the Bible or we had found old scripts, they would be kind of written together and there would be pieces missing, but altogether they were pretty collective. Prophetic literature is actually pieced together. So they looked at all of the oral traditions of the Hebrews and what the prophets had shared with them, and they looked at content, time, who was king, who they talked about, and the style of the way it was written, and so they kind of pieced these books together. And there's this huge question about, why are there some books? Oh, Larry, I'm going to need your help. Nope, there it goes. Why are there some books versus no books of prophets? So, for instance, why is there not a book on Elisha? I would love to know that. I would also love to read that. And there's a theory that maybe there's books out there of some prophets because they wanted to see if these would really happen. And when they did happen, they realized this is really God. We got to keep this forever. We got to really be sure that this is the word that's shared, especially those very important Messianic prophets, which Micah, of course, did have a very important Messianic prophet. Uh, prophecy in his book. And then also their poetry. They're not the typical poetry we think of in the Psalms, but they're poetry, and they have different voices. So one of those voices is called legal nature or covenant lawsuit. And the reason it's called this is because, well, prophets back in the day were called God's prosecuting attorneys because their job, they were called, they were commissioned by God to share, to gently remind people that they weren't holding up their end of the deal, this covenant relationship that they have with God. And y'all know I'm kidding when I say gently. There's nothing gentle about the Old Testament, and there's definitely nothing gentle about the way the prophets shared the message of God on behalf and for God. It was straight to the cut. It was like, this is how it needs to be. This is what you're not doing, and this is what you need to do. It's very good stuff. Micah is actually one of the most unstable books that we have of a prophet. There's a lot of questions, a lot of theories about the pieces that are missing, that some of it may actually be another prophet's, or this, that, and whatever. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the book is the book that we have because God wants us to have it. And what it may lack in structural dependence, it makes up for in conviction. So I want to talk about Micah for just a bit. If we look at Jeremiah 26, 18, it says, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah. Friends, this is what we know about Micah. This is it. This is all we have. And it's in Jeremiah. So we know that Micah was from this really t small town in southwest Judah. <laughs> oh, this clicker. 
gets me every time. So, sorry, could you go back to the other slide? There we go. So, Micah, this is probably the best picture we have of Micah as a prophet, but he was from this really small town in Morseth. You can see that's about 30, 35 miles from Jerusalem. And he was a prophet with Hezekiah for a while. There were a couple kings before Hezekiah that he helped that really didn't want his help. But Hezekiah listened to Micah a little bit. So, you can see here he was also a prophet during the time that the kingdoms were split. So, you had the northern kingdom of Israel there in the orange, the massive area, and then Judah the small southern kingdom um, that was below it. Now, everyone at this point when Micah come along had heard prophecies over and over again about how the northern kingdom was going to fall, it was going to be destroyed, they had seen it happen, they had been attacked. And nobody in Judah was ever surprised by that because, well, the northern kingdom was the bad child. As a matter of fact, none of the kings that reigned over the northern kingdom ever received good judgment from God. It was always, they did what was not right in the sight of the Lord. And the, so they received ambush after ambush, attack after attack. Of course, you can tell it was such a big kingdom, it was hard for them to defend in the first place. There was a lot of areas that were very vulnerable. I like to envision Judah at this point of going, well, at least we aren't like them. At least we aren't that bad. And haven't we all been guilty of doing that, friends? Haven't we all been guilty of making ourselves feel better by comparing ourselves to other people who may sin in ways that are different than us, so it's probably worse, or maybe they do things that we don't do, so, well, we've got to be okay. Let's just go ahead and acknowledge that that is not okay and that we are not okay when we do that. As a matter of fact, if you would forward me there, yep. When we start justifying our actions by comparing ourselves to others, we sink further into a denial that calls for rescue. That's really not even a red flag. It's a white flag that we need to wave and go, okay, God, I give. I'm messing up, and I don't know how, but I know if I'm doing this, then you need to help reveal that to me. So when Micah starts prophesying, he says things that people have heard before in Judah. They've heard these things, and they're going, well, you know, it's got to be about the northern kingdom. As a matter of fact, Amos and Hosea and even Isaiah had said the very same things that Micah said. But there's a very important twist in what Micah was saying. It was about Judah. <gasps> Gasp! But Judah was the good child. Judah even had a whopping three kings— that God said, you did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Three kings is not a lot, by the way. So, if there's anything we can derive from this, is that Micah was saying, what happens in the north can happen in the south, would happen in the south. Don't think just because you're acting better than they are, that you can't have that same judgment from God. That same thing happened to you, the destruction, the annihilation, the invasion. Because, let's just be real about it, friends, the southern kingdom was corrupt too. There was a lot of bad things happening there. They may not have been as bad as the northern kingdom, but they were still not doing what God wanted them to do. And if there's anything we can derive from Micah in his book, it's that he cared about the poor. He cared about them. He, he wasn't from this area, which was actually a good thing for him. A lot of the prophets had hearts for those people in the margins, but Micah's heart beat greater because he was from an area that really suffered greatly on the margins. And there, the good thing about when God gave Micah a message to share with the people it was unbiased. There was nothing in his brain about how to share it. He shared it outright. 
He didn't have the influence of the powers to be, the rulers, the priests, even other prophets. It wasn't, okay, God gave me this, so now in order for it to be really effective, I need to go to these two people because these two people know these people and they can cause some influence there and then these two people can go here and then it'll have a greater impact. Micah didn't care about the politics. He didn't care about the way things were done because he wasn't from there. What he cared about were the people, the personal level of that covenantal relationship. He cared about people on a social level. How were they interacting with people in their everyday lives, all day, every day? He cared about the heart of the matter. So I want to take a look now at the covenant lawsuit, which is the passage we're going to look at today, that type of poetry that we talked about in Micah 6, 1 through 8. And so we're going to say this, if you would. It's long, but it's really good, and I bet you know this passage really well. So let's dig in. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear your mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Arian, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gagal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So unfortunately, I don't have the time today to dig into what makes this a covenant lawsuit, what details of that. I'm going to do that later this week in my Facebook post. So if you're uber interested in that, you'll get to catch uh, catch that this week. But what I do want to talk about is Micah's call to action and how we are to obey God. And he does it so great. And we all know verse 8. We all know those three very important pillars. We've probably seen pictures of them. We probably have pictures of them. We've probably allowed that verse to be our life verse. It shaped us in some way or engaged us or formed us. But I think it's really important for us to know how Micah gets here. So when we look at verse 3, God asks the people, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what way have I wearied you? Answer me. God wants the people to think about this. He wants to know how the people feel that God has harmed them, how he has hurt them. And he does the same for us today too. He wants to know, what are we hanging on to? What are we holding against him? You know, God is the creator of the mountains. As a matter of fact, in the beginning of this, he says mountains. The mountains are the witnesses. He calls on them. He controls them. But he is also available to us to sit in the pain with us, to suffer through the things that we are suffering with. And the reason he starts here is to help us acknowledge that, yes, we've got stuff, God, that we're probably holding on to and that we're probably holding you responsible for. But at the end of the day, it helps us get to the first step of obedience, which is gratitude. 
gratitude because we know at the end of the day, God's question is rhetorical. We know God hasn't done anything to us. He doesn't do anything to harm us, and he certainly hadn't done anything to Israel or to Judah to hurt them. No, in order to get to gratitude, though, we must fully, in order to grasp all the goodness of God, we have to admit that there are roadblocks. There are things. I mean, we know the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy our joy, right? So we're gonna, we know that there are things that are going to keep us from thanking God or thinking about all the good that he does in our life. And once we acknowledge those things and we take them to God, we can break through those roadblocks. But we can't do it without his help. And those things can be anything from grief or pride or sadness, anger, fear, anxiety, you name it. There are things that keep us from full communion with God because we can't fully thank him or become with him with gratefulness because we're holding something against him. If we're avoiding our feelings, then we aren't fully feeling gratitude. And if you struggle with this, there was this really cool pastor at the beginning of the announcement video that talked about Celebrate Recovery. I really want you to think about that ministry. It is a beautiful ministry that helps you break through those things. It has done so much for me and transformed my heart in a way that I can fully understand the capacity of who God is and who that makes me in light of him. And Micah does a great job of doing this for Judah. He does this for Judah by, yes, saying, hey, I'm going to hypothetically ask you this question and make you think about it so that you can get to this vulnerable point of recognizing what God has done for you. And God had done so much for Israel at that point. He had redeemed them from Egypt, delivered them out of slavery, and given them amazing leaders in Moses and Aaron and Miriam. He had delivered them from the schemes of King Balak and Balaam. We all remember that, right? The talking donkey story in Numbers, where Balaam is actually sent to curse. And when he curses, God turns it into four beautiful, generous blessings that the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, still recite and still hang on to today. And then he, he allowed them entrance into the promised land, even though over and over and over again, they kept messing it up. Micah is telling the people of Israel and us today that we must remember what God has done for us. We have to take the time to remember the goodness of God. And I'm not talking about just the blessings. Yes, it's important. Count your blessings, of course. But also think about the hard stuff that we've gone through in life. Think about the loss we've experienced, the tough times, and recognize that in the midst of those things, God has been with us. He has never left us. He has been with us every step of the way. Israel, they kept missing that. They kept forgetting about who God was. But you know what God kept doing? He kept showing up for them. He kept loving them. He kept doing for them. And friends, he does the same for us. Next, Micah calls attention to our actions. And here, this is where the people of Israel start testifying on their behalf. And they say, you know, well, what can I possibly do, God? I could bring you the, a fatted calf, which was the best offering that you could give. Or maybe it's about quantity. I'll bring you tens of thousands of rams and rivers of oil. Maybe that's it. Or I know I'll give you my firstborn. Apparently the firstborn was the best back in Hebrew time. I think it's personally the lastborn. <laughs> but they were like, what can we possibly do 
What can we possibly do, God, to show you that we're in this with you? We're doing, but, but the crazy thing was they were already doing all this. They were already making the sacrifices. They were already going through those motions. But God, God wants more. And, and he says this to us today because these are more rhetorical questions, of course. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter then and it doesn't matter now. And let's put it into context of today. We can come in here and we can sit in these pews every single week. We can sing the songs. We can pray the prayers. We can praise God. But we can still miss what God requires of us. And we can continue to give or tithe. We can even serve alongside people at our many mission partners here in the community and all over the state. But we can still miss what God requires of us. Micah is saying it doesn't matter what you bring to God, how much you bring to God, how often you bring to God. God wants your heart. God wants your love. God wants your devotion. These are all things, huge things that require big change. Change that means when your heart breaks, your, you, change that means your heart breaks when God's heart breaks. You love the way God loves. You do the hard thing for God instead of the easy thing for yourself. Once that change happens, once our hearts, our minds, and our souls are transformed, then we can do what God requires of us. And then, of course, we have the very familiar passage of when Micah, in verse 8, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. And I've thought of the excuses, though. I've thought of it. I really have. Well, I can go through the motions. I can do that and still look like I'm doing it. I can love people. I can serve alongside people. I can even talk to people that I don't really maybe love. I just maybe don't even like them. But I can still do that, and people will perceive that I'm doing justice and acting this way and doing what God requires of me. But friends, we know better than that, don't we? Jesus was always getting through those false actions that didn't match how our heart felt. It's not about what people perceive of us. It's about what God knows of us. This is not a perception, it is reality thing. And there's a very important piece of this verse that I want us to point out that sometimes we forget about. Most of the time we don't even see it on those pictures or memes or things that we see. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly? And what does that say? With your God. With your God. And honestly, the way this is interpreted and translated, it misses the mark. It misses the mark on what the Hebrew translation should be. A better one is be very careful to live the way God wants you to live. Be very careful. How do we know how God wants us to live? How do we know that? We've got to know God, right? We've got to know God. How do we get to know people that we want to get to know? This is, as I told my VBS kids, now I'm waiting for an answer. I want some answers. How do we get to know people that we want to get to know? What do we do? Spend time with them. What else? Connect with them. Yeah, find what's common. What do, what do we have in common? What else? 
listen. That's an important one. And not just listening to respond, but listening to know. Hey, what makes this person tick? What is this person all about? What can I maybe do? Or what Bible verse can I share? Or can I send them something or tell them something that's really, they're really going to be interested in? We have to invest ourselves, all of ourselves, unselfishly. We have to drop off this, it's all about me, and make it about them whenever we want to know who they are. And I'm going to say this, and you know, sometimes I get on a soapbox. So I'm getting on a soapbox. If you think that you know everything there is to know about God, and so therefore you cannot change anymore that you are who you are and that's who you're going to be forever, you are wrong. And I don't ever say that's only the second time I've ever said you're wrong in the pulpit. You're wrong. God is infinite. His knowledge, who he is, what he is capable of is infinite. There is so much we don't know about God. There is so much to learn. Do you know how many times I've read this Bible verse? (laughs) I've read this Bible verse a ton, and you know what he showed me? That I had been missing that walk humbly with your God. You can't do this without him. We can't do what is required of us unless God is with us in it. There is always something new to discover. There is always something new to learn. God is always revealing himself to us in new and fresh ways. All right, I'm off my soapbox. So what we know is obedience isn't easy. It's not easy. It is not an easy road. (laughs) Say that to any kid or any parent. Dads, there is this humongous pressure on you. You got to be strong. You got to carry the weight of the world, but you can't ever show that you're stressed or you're anxious or you're upset. You got to keep that straight face. And oh, by the way, your kids need to obey you. You need to be authoritative and you need to be stern, but also you need to be fun and loving and playful. What? Which is it? It's not easy. And parents, we know ultimately we don't want our kids to obey us because they're afraid of us or because it's just the way the rules are, it's the way we've always done things, or even because it's the right thing to do. We want them to know that we love them and we want them to love us so that when we tell them to do something, when we tell them, hey, this is the way it needs to be done, that they know it's coming from that place of unconditional love. An unconditional love that, daggone it, sometimes requires really hard things and drives us crazy, but it's still what we gotta do. And that is the same unconditional love that God the Father has for us. We do justice, we do kindness, and we are very careful to live the way God wants us to live. Because God loves us and we love God. And oh, by the way, he's pretty awesome too. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time to be together. We thank you that you love us so much. And that sometimes that love requires really hard things from us. But God, help us know that when we need to do your will and we need to set aside our will, that your strength is with us when we are obeying you. And God, even if we mess up, your grace is still there. You still love us exactly the same. But that doesn't mean we take advantage of you. That doesn't mean, God, that we know 
that we can flip up every now and then and you're still going to be waiting there for us. No, God, you deserve more than that. You deserve our whole heart, our whole devotion, and all of our love. And God, we try to give it to you. We will continue to try to give it to you because, God, you deserve it. You are worthy of it. And we believe in your promises that you have been there with us through it all, that you will continue to be there with us through it all, and that you are doing because you love us. God, we thank you and praise you, and we lift these things to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.